You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You were excited about Jason Fitz and I getting reunited last night. I hope you enjoyed it because uh, he's gone again. Doing more of those interviews for the NFL draft. I think he's hanging with Richie Sambora tonight. I can't keep track, to be honest with you, but we're looking forward to all those great interviews coming up on the NFL draft. And Courtney Cronin is back to hang out with me. And we got lots of NFL to talk about tonight. So it's great to have her here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. It is a Friday. So, of course, we'll do some sports tinder. Things will get a little weird. I have a head cold, probably. Who knows? Self-diagnosis is a terrible thing to do at this time, Courtney, as you know. So uh, if I sneeze or sniffle, uh, suck it up, honestly, is all I have to tell you people. Don't come complaining to me. This is free. Uh, You know, you're not paying for this. So just (laughs) suck it up and, and enjoy it. Let's start with Straight Talk. I think that was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Um, We got some information, very little, but a little bit of a comment from the Texans on the uh, ever-increasingly complicated Deshaun Watson story. What we do know for sure is that they are now going to consolidate the lawsuits. They will be heard by one judge. This is meaningful in the sense that it's more likely to quicken the settlements for all parties involved. It'll be more expeditious for those who choose not to settle as well. And there is an expectation that they will need to uh, reveal identities for the lawsuits to progress. That was based on judges rulings back on April 9th. So some movement uh, and something that's still probably going to take a while. And in the meantime, our eye turns to what the NFL is doing, what the Texans are doing. And we did hear for the first time in a while from the Texans, as GM Nick Casario said this today. We're not going to really get into a lot of hypotheticals and a lot of speculation. Um, I'm not really good at that. Um, maybe somebody else is better than that than, than me. I mean, if you want to speculate, you should probably go, probably go buy Bitcoin and focus on that. So we're just going to focus on the things that we can control, which is kind of getting ready for the draft and trying to take advantage of the opportunities, continue to add to our team and build our roster. Um, and we'll just take it one day at a time and focus on the things that we can control. Now, Courtney, I don't mind the crux of that statement, which is essentially we don't have much information to go off of. We're not going to say anything that we're going to need to be held to. We're not going to make great grand proclamations that may not be necessary or come true when the situation changes moving forward. What I don't like is that flippant tone of if you want to get into hypotheticals, maybe you should buy Bitcoin. It just seemed not to reflect the seriousness of the situation. Well, it's a complete non sequitur. He was asked about a contingency plan that the Texans might have to consider should Deshaun Watson either be on the commissioner's exempt list, not be able to play convicted on whatever, on these allegations, any of these charges, what have you. Um, And it did kind of come across as kind of dismissive. And I'm wondering how long he had been thinking about dropping that Bitcoin line and, Ooh, got him like that one, you know, that was a zinger for him, I think. And it fell very flat and was tone deaf, but um I think it's an absolute fair question, and he may not want to answer it right now, but the fact of the matter is, when you're talking about this from a football perspective, this is a team that has a massive question mark, bigger than any other quarterback question mark of any any of the other 31 franchises. They don't have picks in the first two rounds. Like... There's a lot of what ifs here, and having to figure out, like, what the heck is this team going to do this year, because there's... It's just it's a giant heaping mess, and it keeps getting worse by the day. And and now that we know that with the 23 lawsuits against Deshaun Watson, maybe we'll start to see some movement here in in the coming weeks. As you know, the the court rulings of um, you know people who have who have been behind these lawsuits having to like reveal their identity, things like that, what have you. 
we're still so far away from knowing what's going to happen with the Houston Texans. So uh, if they don't have a contingency plan at quarterback, they might want to get one soon. Right. And it really wouldn't surprise me, though, given how this uh, franchise has handled things in the past and just how nonsensical some of their decisions have, have been, that if they really didn't have too much thought into what they were going to do just yet. I mean, that, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. It's Spain and Fitzera, Spain, Courtney Cronin. Yeah, I mean, Nick Casera took over this team, and it was already an uphill climb, right? Like you mentioned, no early draft pick. There was everything hovering over the Watson situation, despite Casario saying when all this began and when he took the job that they weren't interested in trading him. I think the expectation was, doesn't matter, he's gone. Like, it's way too far gone for anything to be made good on this. And now completely different situation. They still have some really big contracts for guys that aren't playing up to them. They don't have a lot of talent. They don't have a way to fix it in the draft. And now they've got this massive question mark. Now, there's only one criminal complaint against Watson. The rest are all, um, you know, cases that would be settled and would not be resulting in criminal, you know, prison time or fines. Um and Texas doesn't have very strong punishments for offenders in cases of sexual assault that don't rise to the level of rape. Unwanted sexual conduct is a felony in a, in a number of places, but not in Texas. So these are misdemeanors and likely wouldn't physically prevent him from playing. The question is, do you want him on the team if it ends up becoming clear that this person is a serial harasser and offender? And that's why this is, I think, a little bit more difficult than it's not worse than if there had been an absolute, very clear crime. But it does mean that not any action from the Texans or the NFL could result in him just getting back on the field and playing, which would be incredibly awkward. Which is just like so crazy to think about because the Texans from Cal McNair, the owner, sent out a letter to season ticket holders on April 5th. At least they did something right in terms of the like crisis communications here. Um, they sent out a letter being like, hey, look, we've heard what's going on. We're not turning a blind eye to the Deshaun Watson thing. You know, I think they at least attempted to address it without certainly um, getting into any of the details of it. But they they made it clear that, you know, from from the stance that it's like, we want to assure you that we take these allegations very seriously. It's a quote from Cal McNair. Um, and that was, you know, after the complaint was filed with the Houston Police Department against Deshaun Watson. So they're waiting. And in the meantime, you probably have people who are fans of this team wondering, well, should I continue to hold on to my seats and tickets like right. you know, do I want to be a fan of a team that is just going to roll this guy back out there because they have no other option a at quarterback and b if he's not found you know if he settles if it's not found you know guilty of anything criminal that would literally take him away from football you're just going to put him back out there and basically like you know wipe your hands of it like it's a really tricky situation because of the nature of the civil suits and that they haven't, at least as of yet, risen to like that criminal level. Um, kind of Just puts the, the one, team yeah. in a really tough – yeah, except for that one. It puts the team in a really tough spot. Um, I'm wondering now, too, with the language that's in his contract as far as the NFL's personal conduct policy, could they get out of the $110, $111 million mm, in, in guarantees? Are they able to determine – he violated that because that's something that I know the NFL says that they've been, um, you know, keeping right. a close eye. And would on they want he's... to? 
because you know, obviously, the league could suspend him for a significant time, even they if there is no the crime. They, they could put on the exemplus. They could also f- fully suspend him, like they did with Ben Roethlisberger, where they said the actions were unbecoming of a player, regardless of whether they resulted in an actual criminal charge. Um, but what we've seen a lot in the NFL is the team that currently has a player when this happens tends to release them because of an outcry, and another team just picks them up. And again, super complicated in this case of whether you want that on your hands, whether you you and it's odd because it's 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 like you're trying to compare apples and oranges in terms of domestic violence versus other things. But um, it's certainly one of the most complicated, confusing and compelling things we've seen in the league in a long time. It's not nearly as cut and dried as maybe many in the past have been. I want to get to you on the OTA stuff with some players. So we'll get to that in a little bit on the show, because I do want to ask your opinion on a bunch of teams coming out to talk about that. We're also going to talk NFL draft tonight. And anytime you've got the months leading up to the NFL draft, I am convinced everybody is lying to me. Lion season is what they call it. You never know what to believe, especially when it's sources tell me or when leagues are, you know, representatives are flat out telling you what they want. So I want to ask people, our listeners at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, at Spain and Fitz, what is the worst lie you've ever told? Or maybe most impactful or maybe funniest. Whatever you got for us, tell us and we'll hit that later in the show. Coming up, we're going to get to some NBA stories. It's next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Uh, so we'll get to the OTA stuff I wanted to talk to Courtney about because I do want to ask her you know, what this says about the NFL offseason and the teams deciding to make these statements. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. So we'll get back to the NFL, but there's some NBA stuff I want to talk about. We were going to talk about this on Around the Horn today. We ran out of time, and I wanted to get your opinion on it because we've seen the Celtics, a team that was left for dead, that has at various times throughout the season had to send out different representatives to either point fingers or respectfully decline to point fingers. And then here we are. They've they've got the best record in the East since the trade deadline, which you know was mostly about getting Fournier, who hasn't really played much. Five straight wins. They're in the five seed. They've been winning road games because it's the middle of a West Coast swing. And I, I'm just trying to figure out if what we're watching from the Celtics, by the way, Celtics Warriors, uh, NBA on ESPN Radio, tune in tomorrow night. Celtics host the Warriors presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Um, I'm trying to figure out if what I'm watching means that the Celtics are anywhere near a real contender, or if they're just closer to our expectations based on the talent. And I'm leaning towards the for, uh, the latter. The latter. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I have to Google that. Do you still have to Google that? Which is the, the former, former or the latter? latter yeah. yeah. Every sense. once in a while, my brain's like, eh, I don't know. Well, I mean, they're 7-1 and one in April, right? Like, that's... The record itself is is good, and they're, you know, tied for fourth in, in the conference with Atlanta. But... I think we need to take a lot of this with a grain of salt considering, you know, they've gotten some good victories over good teams, but they also beat up on Minnesota and the Knicks. Like, you know what I mean? Um, And they struggled with those teams, you know, before they eventually won. But it's – I think right now a lot of it is the key key to why they've been so good. I mean, you're seeing, you know, Jalen Brown has been really solid. Um you know, that's that to me is, you know, what you expect, though. But Jason Tatum over the last two weeks, um, if, if you're looking at this in a, in a vacuum, you're going to say he's playing at an MVP level. He's averaging like 28.3 points, 7.8 rebounds, 3.9 assists in the last 12 games. He's shooting 40% from three. Like, I don't know what the key to the turnaround is, but something changed. And it's kind of crazy how in a few weeks they've gone from 
um, you know, being kind of left for dead there to having a real shot at finishing in the top half, top half of the Eastern Conference uh, yeah. and securing a four seed. Do I think that that's legit as far as them being one of the best teams in the East? No, not necessarily, just given, you know, where those wins have come, what the circumstances have been. Yeah, the injuries um, too. You know, you're taking yes. on good teams, but it's the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. It's the Lakers without LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? Um, so I agree with you. I think it's like the progress towards being closer to the team that we expected mm-hmm. them to be based on, like you mentioned, Tatum. Maybe Tatum's playing better because it's just further distance he gets from COVID. Now that we know he's been having to use an inhaler, his body was reacting much more significantly perhaps than we thought it was. Maybe the further he gets away from that, the more his body gets back into prime and he's able to perform. Kemba Walker is not the guy that we thought he would be coming to this team. He's not impacting the game the way he did, you know, at the beginning of of last season, but he's facilitating and he's making this team better in ways that are meaningful. And that matters, right? You take, you take Kemba's facilitating, you take Brown and Tatum doing the things you want them to do. And all of a sudden they look like a team that they could have maybe been all year. And, And the problem is I think it's a little too late. And I still think these are disparate pieces that look good in a vacuum, but don't look that great together. Um, and so, yeah, to me, it feels like, uh, They've gotten in the zone, but uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to go much farther than that. Uh, by the way, let's get in the zone on the Warriors. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Celtics-Warriors matchup. Now, what we focused on for the most part with that team is, of course, uh, uh, Steph Curry. And to me, I'm wondering, are we going to ignore his potential for MVP qualifications any longer? Because it sure feels like me, to me, like we started out the season with a clear idea of, of who in the first couple months mm-hmm. was going to be up for it. And... Curry's been setting the league on fire. Yeah, and I mean, to me, this is still a Joel Embiid award to win. Unless, I mean, if people don't have voter fatigue with Giannis, maybe he nah, no chance. To me, to me, and what's so silly is we, we. we argue that it's it's just a regular season award, so of course their failure to back things up in the postseason shouldn't affect whether he gets it this year, but it will. You know, it, it absolutely will, I think, sure. in people's minds. And the idea of whose turn it is, already winning two in a row was really shocking for people. Yeah, no, I don't ag- I don't disagree with that. I mean, he's – but I think you have to put him in the top four, top right. five. But Curry should be in there. If you're going to put James Harden in that conversation and the guy's been hurt the last couple weeks, so maybe that will actually help someone like Steph Curry's case. Like, the historic marks that he's surpassed this, this year. And I know that, um, you know, tomorrow isn't there – the the record itself uh, escapes me, but I know it has something to do with Kobe tomorrow, that he could potentially surpass that in the Celtics game. But, um, you know, there's so much there that I think is worthy of it, given the lack of talent around him and what he's had to put on his shoulders and how yeah. much more difficult the task has been for Curry this year versus the years that he won back-to-back in 2015-16 and then 16-17 when he had an all-star cast around him and everybody was healthy for the most part. Right. Steph uh, topped 30 last night over the Cavs. It was his career-best ninth straight 30-point game. Uh, Made 29 three-pointers over the previous three games combined, which was an NBA record. Uh, So to your point, even for Steph's standards, he's been doing incredible things. He's been doing it on a team where the focus can be far more just on him because of the missing pieces around him due to injury. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, Quickly, Donovan Mitchell, you know, this is – we we did it again the other day on Around the Horn. We're talking about all the contenders in the West, and we just forgot to mention the Jazz. Just first, no big deal. Uh, 42 and 14 team. 
Um, and of course, now we're going to get back to talking about them, only to talk about the injury to star Donovan Mitchell. But it sounds like, Courtney, it will not be that severe. The eggs race were negative, but we still have to hear about the results of, of the MRI and, and what sort of further treatment is expected. But, um, you know, you have to hope for the sake of, of Mitchell and obviously this team that he comes back strong. This has been a rash of injuries across the NBA. And we just we want to see all of these teams at full strength in the postseason. And we're starting to see the condensed schedule take its toll. Yeah, and I mean, he's the leading scorer on one of the top teams in the NBA. Like, you don't want to lose that when you get into the playoffs if, if the MRI came back with something that's going to have him have him out. Um, you know, he hasn't missed a lot of games, though. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, dating back to 2017, I don't believe he's missed more than five games. Um, he was in the concussion protocol in January. It was two games. So they really can't afford to have him gone for an extended period of time. He's averaging 26.5 and 5.3 assists point. assists per game. Um, He's playing at an all-star level, too. I know know, we're kind of throwing that all around. I'm not going to say it's an MVP level, even though he is leading the league in scoring. But um, it's important because I don't know – they take a step back when he's not there. And that's been shown kind of in the the games that he hasn't played this year. So I think it's kind of important to protect – the depth they have in the backcourt and, you know, try to figure out what they have to do in, in the event that he is out for a couple games. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. We'll get to D Wade making some news today outside of the Miami area, outside of his hometown area of Chicago, got a whole new city that he's getting involved with. We'll get to that later in the show, but coming up, we got to talk some baseball. We have the beginning of, I think it's 19 games this season that are going to pit the Dodgers defending champs against the upstart Padres. So many questions about that. So many questions about whether Fernando Tatis Jr. should be making his return this quickly and whether or not there's really anything to be gained from an April baseball matchup. Courtney, we, uh, Bill Plashkin, I got into it on Around the Horn today. Not surprisingly, because he's a homer for his his, uh, his Dodgers. He said they're going to be the greatest team in baseball history. He wrote a column about that. And they proceeded to back that up by sounding really chapped about the Padres uh, shoring up their team in the offseason and looking like they could contend. So we'll get into whether there's something to be learned from the beginning of that series. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing incredible things. Has he surpassed Mike Trout? We'll get into all of it next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. MLB What to Watch For is brought to you by Sam Adams. Everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savor the flavor responsibly. Let's bring in ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan on the Goodyear Hotline to talk all things baseball. Jeff, let's start with Tatis Jr. coming back. I'm of the opinion that GMs, managers, doctors, you know, Tatis Jr. himself care the most about his longevity both this year and through the length of that incredibly long contract so that they wouldn't rush something unless it was ready. But plenty of other people are looking at this with a side eye. What do you make of this return? Boy, it's really good to know there are all kinds of doctors out there who are looking at this with a side eye. I'm sure their no, medical not doctors. opinions are very not well doctors. informed. Yes, not doctors. The doctors are saying go for it. Everybody else who's not gone through medical school is like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> I, they actually got their MDs on Twitter. It was fantastic. There was that one week where they were just giving away medical degrees. And <laughs> it's... Uh, I, You know, I would I would love to sit here and say... Take it easy, come back slow, be careful, because 
our instincts tell us that when you see something that looked as bad as that did, that it needs more time. The Padres have Fernando Tatis Jr., Sarah, signed for 14 years. And this isn't an NFL contract where if the guy gets hurt, you can cut him next year and not pay the $340 million he's owed. No, he's getting every penny of that. So the idea that the Padres are going to rush him back in his age 22 season just to get a couple extra games out of him chasing down what may be the best team I've seen in my 20 or so years covering baseball sounds absurdly foolish, (laughs) completely misguided, and we shouldn't spend another second talking about it because those people who are saying slow it down don't know what they're talking about. Well, if they're adamant that this is not going to cause any further long-term damage to his shoulder, if like saying play through it is the easiest way to, I guess, get him back into a rhythm to keep him out there, how do they manage his shoulder this weekend and then beyond that? You know, that, that's something that I, that I don't know at this point, whether they are going to, while bringing him back, give him, you know, to steal a phrase from another sport, load management days, or uh, if they've told him, hey, take it easy. But it's not like when you have a swing like Fernando Tatis Jr. has, you can go at 70%. That's not the way that a baseball swing works. And I think if they were uncomfortable with the idea of him coming back, they would put the pause on and they would rather wait for a longer period of time than bring him back out there. I think if he's coming here now off the injured list, he's coming to play. And if he's coming to play, he's not going to go do it at 50% or 75% or 90%. That's just not his style. That's not his game. That's not how he does things. Jeff Passon with us here on ESPN Radio, Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. Uh, I want to get on to some other stuff, but quickly, uh, this is clearly a bigger series for the Padres than the Dodgers, right? The Padres want us to keep talking about them as a legitimate younger brother to the Dodgers that can push them, that can potentially change you know, what's been a nine-year run for the Dodgers. Um, if the Dodgers lose, it's easy to chalk it up to, well, we'll wait till we get to the postseason, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if it's that. I think uh, an early season, listen, I love the fact that we're talking about an early season baseball series. You don't see that very often. It's not like, you know, a week one or week two or week three NFL matchup where it's of two teams that you know are probably going to be playing in the postseason and you want to get a sense of where they are. Baseball such a long season, and so many different things can happen, whether it's injuries or otherwise, you know, trades at the deadline. Like, these teams may look very different come September uh, if there's going to be a pennant race at all. Uh, but I think, you know, as much as the Padres want to show that this isn't just the Dodgers' division or league or sport – I think the Dodgers want to go out there and illustrate that the Padres, the upstarts, the ones who went and traded for a Cy Young winner, a guy who just finished second in the Cy Young Award, and a guy who threw a no-hitter, are still the little brother in this rivalry. And, And it is a rivalry now, and that is a great thing for a sport that doesn't have that many. So I, I think both teams are really incentivized to show out this weekend. We're only a couple weeks into the 2021 season, and we're already complaining about the replay review system in Major League Baseball. (laughs) Controversial calls to the the ending of the Phillies-Braves game this past Sunday, Mets-Marlins. 
Is there a way that baseball can try to remedy this at some point in season? Is this something that waits till December with winter meetings? Or, you know, what do you see, I guess, is the biggest issue that is solvable right now in season with replay? Yeah, death taxes and complaints about replay mm-hmm. and umpiring. That is such a baseball thing. And switching midseason, it's just not a realistic thing to do. I mean, I, I think we look at the NFL and, uh, you know, when, when there were questions about, like, the pass interference replay and seemingly, you know, every weekend there were two of them that should have been either looked at or overturned and nothing happened – uh, we just threw your hands up and waited until the end of the year. Uh, I think baseball's replay system, Courtney, by and large, is actually pretty successful. But when you have something as as clear and obvious as a missed swing and the umpire calls it a foul tip and that's yeah. not reviewable, <laughs> that that's just that that's a big problem. And and I know that that wound up, uh, you know, with Matt Barnes getting a strikeout. But at the same time, uh, something like that shouldn't happen. Period. And there need to be uh, there need to be larger uh, number of plays that are reviewable. But then, of course, becomes the pro- or the problem comes where the game slows down because you have more replay reviews. And and so baseball is trying to balance the the sanctity of what's actually happening on the field with the speed of a game that frankly is too slow for a lot of people's liking. And, and that's a hard balance to strike. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to ESPN MLB insider, Jeff Passan about this young season. And no matter how young it is, we've still seen some incredible things already from Ronald Acuna jr. By the way, Cubs hosting the Braves on Sunday night. Baseball coverage begins at 6 PM Eastern on ESPN radio and the ESPN app. And at 7 PM on ESPN. Don't watch that game for the Cubs. They're trash, but watch it for Ronald Acuna Jr. Wow. I mean, it's bad. I mean, listen, wow. at one point they were batting worse as a team than the combined batting average of NL pitchers. And it was like a couple days ago that that was still the case. It's ugly. I don't want to talk about it. I do want to talk about Acuna Jr. You know, in the preseason, there was already talk of him being an MVP candidate. Obviously, a guy who just a couple years into his career has massive upside. The big question was, could he cut down on the strikeouts? He's done so, so far. He's hitting at a rate we've never seen before. I mean, the names around him are the best of the best. It doesn't feel sustainable, but even if he steps back a little bit, this is an MVP caliber guy. Is he the best player in the game right now? Uh, hey, Courtney, you want to talk about the Cubs a little bit? No, no, we don't have to. I just want to know why no. Wilson Contreras was so mad at the Brewers the other day. Because he gets, he gets an 8,000 times first. a game. And they, anyway, let's let's get to let's get to real baseball, which the Cubs aren't playing right now. Can we talk about Acuna Jr., please? Um, coming into this season, Sarah, we we did something on ESPN.com uh, where, where I played uh, – it's like a dream of mine to be a television judge. Like I want to be someone who's oh, mediating God. disputes. And I would totally hate watching that. It. Oh, you would love it. <laughs> you would love it. I would be wear. I would be wearing like a white wig, and oh, I would look completely absurd. And you would get to laugh at me. It would mm-hmm. be perfect. Um, so I played Judge Jeff, and the question was, who is going to take over as the best player in baseball from Mike Trout? I can tell you right now he is not ceding that title at this point. He remains the best player in baseball. 
He's awesome. He's historic. He's fantastic. I wish more people loved baseball so they could see what a near-perfect baseball player looks like. That being said, uh, the, the candidates in my head who were the likeliest to replace him, there were three of them. It was Ronald Acuna Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., and Juan Soto. And Juan Soto's gotten off to a great start. Tatis, of course, has been injured. Uh, Acuna has been this season for the first, uh, what's he played, like 13 games now, I think, has been the best player. And it's interesting because if you go and look at him last year in the shortened season, he actually stunk at the beginning of the year and then just absolutely turned it on. And by the end of the season, OPS was near 1,000. His slugging percentage right now, Sarah, is at 1,000. And and the home runs that he's hitting, the runs he's driving in, the hits, the runs he's scoring, the fact that he can steal bases – he has center field range, even though he's not playing there right now. He's the right. complete package, and, and the most beautiful part of it is he is 23 years old, so we've got a long, long time to watch him well, do it some more. And the beautiful part of it is as he's doing these amazing things, he's also putting out highlight plays that don't require context to know how great they are, and that's what the game needs. They need players like that. Hey, Jeff, thanks for the time. We're out of it. Appreciate the insight. Ladies, it was a pleasure, and uh, I don't miss Go it Cubs. at all. Honestly, nobody does. We really, yeah, we really don't. Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB Insider, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, the Washington football team's looking for a name. They got a lot of suggestions. They put them out there for us to pick apart. We'll get into the next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Friday on Spain and Fitz. No Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Sarah Spain. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Uh, We're going to get into the NFL draft in a little bit. We asked you about Lion season at Sarah Spain at Courtney R. Cronin at Spain and Fitz. You can tell us the worst lie you ever told. Maybe we'll get back to it later in the show. Uh, Speaking of of, of lies, uh, today... (laughs) We talked about the Washington football team's list of names on the show, and I didn't exactly lie so much as I just uh, I, I omitted a lot of things that I wanted to say, and I'm going to have to do that again here uh, because I have a lot of very honest things to say about this list of potential names, and um, most of them are not for Disney Air. Um, a couple of them could slip, slip by, but um, partly the initial reaction and some of the words that came out of my mouth when I realized that they'd l- revealed a list of 37 options for fans, which, first of all, is way too many. If you want to survey some season ticket holders, you're going to have to whittle it down to fewer than that. But almost 40 in total and different lists of 10 to pick from, it's already so disorganized, Courtney. It, it's it's totally in keeping with the way the Washington football team runs everything. But some of them should have been immediately removed. For instance, anything that says something that's easy to make fun of. So, defenders. You can't name your team defenders because when your defense has a bad game, immediately, super easy way to get clowned. Anything relating to politics, that's not going to go well in the NFL. So, we don't want anything that sounds too diplomatic or D.C. Political ambassadors is not a good one, right? Um, Anything that's got a name, presidents is another one that's floated out. That's not going to work. Whoever the current president is, it's always going to be a problem, right? Anything... 
that sounds like a soccer team. Washington Capital City Football Club, CCFC, no. Washington DC Football Club, DCFC, no. Again, these sound like football teams. Any name that's already in existence on another professional sports team, like the Warriors or the Aces, or even a popular college team like the Razorbacks, can we not have the names of teams that already exist? And then my least favorite of all, I don't even know where they're going with this one. 32 FC. It sounds like a bra size. Courtney, what, like, I'm looking at a list. It's too long and they're all bad. I just like this list so much because I'm going through it and each one's giving me a new laugh. Like the Washington <laughs> Armada. Like, isn't that the Nissan Armada? That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Like a midsize sedan. And I believe, or maybe it's an SUV. But Spanish Armada is how I think of it. That's, uh, you know, how some people refer to my fan base. Oh, okay. Well, I thought of the car, so clearly that's not a good one. The Beacons, the Aviators. There's two sunglass names, sunglasses on here. The Aviators and the Wayfarers, which you and I talked about. We both Maybe have a they pair just want of Oakley. Ray-Bans. Yeah, <laughs> they, want um, the, they want Oakley in there. If they want to be sponsored by Ray-Ban, I mean, maybe that's what they're, um, you know, maybe that's what they're angling for. I like the Swifts. The Washington T Swifts, even though yeah, the Taylor Swift parts clearly there, but the would, Swifts. would sing sing all of the national anthem. Potentially be the mascot too. Yeah, I mean, would be better than not having any mascot. I do like that the football team is still an option. Just keeping them the Washington football team. You don't want that though, do you? Well, I'd want it over any of these. These are all right, terrible. right, right. Well, and I also think ones. you can't have a name with red in it because I already see. The a-hole fans who don't want the former name gone, who show up in the duct tape over there, yeah, duct, t- duct tape over the skins and just change it. So as much as Red Tails actually is a cool name, and if they were going to honor the the memory and the history of the Tuskegee Airmen, that'd be great. But I'm pretty sure they'd botch that. First of all, they would somehow offend in doing so because it's the Washington Football Team. That's what they do. And then also you can imagine all the people showing up just putting tails over skins or figuring it out. I I also worry about that with the Red Hogs, which is another name. I don't mind the Hogs thing. That's obviously a name dating back to the heyday of the team. And you can have some pretty cool-looking logos. Like, the Wild Hogs aren't bad. I mean, of all of the ones on here, I could maybe go with the Wild Hogs. But I it still doesn't move me. None of these are any good. Of all of the names in the world, I also don't like anything... That's not really tangible or easy to represent. Like you mentioned, the beacons or, you know, the anchors. Like, you, you don't want to dress like an anchor. You don't want, like, what your your mascot is going to be like a, like a, a captain of a ship or a related seaman. Either way, the point is, I just don't, it's not, why can't we just get back to just some standard animals? I mean, maybe I can get down with the demon cats. But I, I feel like we already saw other teams awful. remove demon from their name, right? We like the demon deacons dropped it and you know, the devil rays dropped it. I feel like there were like religious people that got in on that, right? I, I just yeah, but it's just like the, what is a demon cat? Like, that sounds like something that has I don't know. It sounds terrifying. I don't know, but it sounds more interesting than the monarchs, which is again a WNBA team name. Yeah, the Guardians was one I remember last August when they took the name, the the Redskins name out of, and named them the Washington football team. They were kind of putting these like mock, um, I guess, yeah. concept jerseys together. And I remember that one for the, um, I guess it would have been either like the Defenders or, or the Guardians. And it kind of looked like the Spartan from Michigan State, which... I don't know. Kind of had too much of a college vibe for me. Like there's certain yeah. well, there's certain mascots and certain um, 
I guess, you know, animals, things like that, that to me are just like strictly for college. Like I can't see it translating to the NFL. And that's one of them. But like, as I go through this list, what is a griffin? Like what is, I mean, a monarch's obviously a butterfly, but like there's some that like I go through and I'm like, I don't know what a root, what a griffin is like, a griffin is like, it's got like half eagle, half lion, I think. That's weird. I think it's from like mythology. Yeah. And I believe a monarch could be a butterfly. It also could be like royalty. Oh, see, like we can't even agree on what they are (laughs) because they're so they're so out there. Like, I mean, honestly, I just want to see the Nissan Armada pull up on like the side (laughs) of the uh, side of the jersey. I'm actually going to Google that. See what I if I'm right on that. Okay, it's actually an SUV. It's actually right. a big SUV. I don't think it's that's what they're one. going for. No. Uh, the no. Rubies is a weird it $50, one. That's a I don't know why. The ruby, the Rubies stands out to me as another one that I'm not really sure where they were going with that. Is there some sort of tie to something? The Rising. Okay, that is my least favorite kind of name or mascot. Like the Red Wave or like the 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 Green Anger. Like I don't want it to be an emotion or an intangible thing. I want it to be... Something that can be represented via animal or human mascot. So you're not a, a North Texas mean green person, are you? No, and like I went to Cornell and we were the big red. I don't like that big red. What? 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 I that's mean, a, we had a piece of bubble gum. We, yeah, we had a bear, but like it was unrelated. <laughs> kind of like the Stanford Cardinal, and then it's a tree. It's like, what are we doing here? Either way, the the Washington Rising, especially in a team that has a, a slew of harassment, I'm not going to get into it. You know what I'm saying? There's there's just a lot of ways that things could be misconstrued. I just think they need to start fresh, start all over. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in. By the way, we're still casting the coaches of the NFL. We've moved on to the NFC East. We'll put it on social media for you guys to cast the coaches of the NFC East. And coming up, we're going to talk about the OTA programs that teams are making statements about. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. Fitz is out hanging out with Richie Sambora on Zoom or something, finishing those interviews that are coming up for the NFL draft coverage he's doing. So Courtney Cronin filling in on a Friday with me, Sarah Spain. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday as the Knicks host the Pelicans, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Uh, Want to get to the OTA story that's been percolating. Um, we, we didn't have time for it earlier. And, Courtney, you know, you cover the Minnesota Vikings. You're um, on top of a lot of what's going on as you prepare for the draft, as we get ready for the offseason. And... There's been a number of statements released by a handful of teams um, expressing a desire to keep the offseason program fully virtual. What's driving this, and, and are there any real ramifications to the statements we're seeing? Well, I think what started it last week was when the Broncos players, or I guess it was earlier this week, they announced through the NFLPA that they're going to skip in-person voluntary organized team activity, so OTAs. When anybody says that, that's what that means. Um, and then you had like other teams follow suit, putting out statements. I believe the Patriots were one of them. We had a couple more teams come out today, the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and they're citing COVID-19 concerns, whether uh, that has to do with the availability for a vaccine shot um, or, you know, potentially, you know, the risk of getting of it spreading, you know, with protocols not being, you know, team guys go from being like in the system to being back in their like home environments and going back, what have you. I think there's a lot there as to why players don't want to be part of OTAs this spring. And the only thing that the NFL did this year uh, in revising the schedule 
to the off-season program on, I believe it was Wednesday of this week, that the only thing that's mandatory is minicamp, which typically is, they call it mandatory minicamp in June for a reason. But, um, you know, there's a number of different ways that you can look at this. I think for many of us, we realize that the players look at OTAs as kind of useless and that it's not something that they need to be in their respective NFL playing cities for and that the virtual offseason worked just fine last year. Um, and I think there is some skepticism around it. But, you know, the the players in the NFLPA and, and, you know, the people who are siding with the players are looking at it from a COVID-19 concern perspective. And the NFL is trying to do everything it can to be like, all right, well, if you have concerns about it, here are ways that we are going to make sure that you stay safe. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that guys just don't want to come to OTAs. They think it's much better in a virtual format. But the thing behind that is, like, when you look at it, like, from a different perspective, who does that help? Who does that hurt? I think it honestly helps a lot of veterans who are, Mm -hmm. especially the guys that are on the bubble of, like, making this roster. When you are competing against rookies who are not getting any on-field instruction until minicamp, you have a far better chance of making that roster come cut down day in August because of the inexperience factor that just cannot be dealt with over a Zoom call. Yeah, it's it's um, it certainly limits the ability to really have those in 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 practice battles, and mm-hmm. it even seems like the players who have spoken out about it don't necessarily have one through line that they're sticking to in terms of why they're asking for it and safety concerns, especially since some of the ones who've been, you know, part of teams that are doing this have been out and about publicly, right? So it's sort of hard to read whether it's just a desire to move away from those in general, and they're using COVID as the scapegoat for that, or if there is real concern there. Uh, we'll keep following that story and how it affects this another strange offseason for the NFL. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronenfeld, and we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Um, another story that came out today uh, is, a, is a follow-up sort of to what we've heard about issues within the Mets organization, but now even more than just Mickey Calloway, who um, had, had left to go to the Angels before the complaints about him and sexual harassment that's still being investigated. He's currently suspended. This is after the Jared Porter uh, incident, the, the new GM who had been, who has now been let go. Uh, a new athletic story details uh, allegations of inappropriate conduct or sexual harassment by the Mets chief marketing content and communications officer who was rehired by the team last year, David Newman, who had left at one point, and former marketing staffer Joe DeVito. Um, and, and multiple folks, employees from within the team, said that they complained about an inappropriate workplace and their complaints were not taken seriously, that the woman who runs HR there was more interested in keeping ownership happy than investigating. There were complaints against former owner Jeff Wilpon, former manager Mickey Calloway, um, the other gentleman that I mentioned. Um, and the, allegedly the way it was handled was inappropriate and, and not serious. And you look at the statement from Sandy Alderson to The Athletic. He said, let me try to make a point as strongly as I can, okay? Not every instance involving men, women in the workplace is a capital offense, okay? Every time something happens, it doesn't mean somebody has to be fired. There are a lot of intermediate steps that can be taken, and we've done that in a variety of different cases and have included capital punishment as a consequence in some cases, but not every case rises to the level of execution. And that's honestly what I think is happening with these articles. 
Right. This sounds like a coded way of saying cancel culture. It sounds like someone not taking it seriously. It sounds like someone who, instead of addressing the legitimacy of the complaints and the seriousness of the issue and also being able to still say there's a gray area between a fireable offense and something that doesn't reach that without going to the extreme in order to then make it sound like someone who's just frustrated with being told that the way things have always been are not okay. And Mina Combs is on Highly Questionable and said a similar thing about just the tone from Alderson. What do I think about the Mets? It sounds like a really terrible place to work for women. It also sounds like the people in power didn't care and frankly still don't care because after um, the athletic reporters, you know, went through this long, well-researched list of misdeeds in this latest piece, you've got Sandy Alderson, as Pablo said, the president of the Mets, comparing the accountability for those misdeeds to capital punishment, and then saying to the reporter at the end, shouldn't there be a statute of limitations for this stuff? Now, some people might hear that and think, well, this is a poor choice of words. It's a bad analogy. But to me, that is a mask off moment. Because for people like him, the worst thing, the thing that they can relate to the most is not being made to feel like you don't belong in a workplace because they've always belonged, but rather... Mm -hmm being held accountable for that behavior. Mm -hmm. That checks out to me, Courtney, right? It's like, I'm so frustrated that you're making me even deal with this. Unless this is incredibly serious, I don't care. You have your, your manager and your general manager all under fire. I mean, like the two most visible people, arguably mm -hmm. from like a front office and a coaching perspective you have two bad apples. I think one's bad enough, and usually it's it's usually well, and then two like, more. If you have two the... more on top of that with, yeah. with Newman and Devito and, and Ellis too. But um, you know, it's just like, how are you like putting your head in the sand on the in this and being like la la la? I can't hear you. Like stop. You know the whole capital punishment thing. Last I checked, that's like punishment by death and they say right. we have done that that's actually right. accurate i don't believe anybody's been executed physically um so that was a weird thing to say we heard about it, yeah. um but it's just like it's such a like scapegoat thing to say where he's pinning the blame back on the athletic and people who have done the reporting and brought this stuff to light saying that your reporting is ruining like livelihoods and all that. Well, sorry, maybe don't act like a jerk in the first place and do these horrible things. And then people won't have to like come forward and talk about the PTSD that they've suffered from it. And you won't be in the news for the wrong reasons. Like maybe like clean up your own stuff first before right. you worry about other things. And, and then starting to point the finger back at a very reputable media outlet with two very reputable reporters who, um, you know, Brick Rowley and, and Katie Strang, who have been on this story since day one. Yeah. And, and to your point, you know, when someone reacts in this way and doesn't seem concerned about what, a, what appears to be a toxic culture that crosses several different levels of the front office, um, you have to wonder what else might be going on there. And as we try to understand how to battle what is widespread harassment in the workplace, in sports, across different leagues, and in this case, specifically baseball on this team, um, being able to uproot people and dig in to their statements as potentially revelations of, of larger issues. And in this case, there are accusations against Alderson. And the way he responded certainly makes it seem like someone who doesn't have control and doesn't care. And that's going to trickle down across an entire workplace, similarly to the way we've seen with the Washington football team. And I think his take is especially egregious because the only way to stop the very bad things from happening is to care enough about the things that aren't that bad. That's where you have to stop it.
if you can't let it get to the part um, that we've seen in other places. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio on a Friday. Guest join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Coming up, it's lion season in the NFL. That's right. The draft approaches. And can we believe anything anyone's saying or, for that matter, anything you, our listeners, are saying? We'll get into all of it next, plus Bill Belichick today. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Now, when everybody seems to believe what they're being told, when everyone's sure of just how things are going to go, I always assume everyone's lying. At this point, I trust no one especially when they're telling me things that they don't have to tell me. They're giving us information. They're not required to give up. And I don't care how many people tell me that the top couple picks are so set in stone that there's no way anything could go wrong, so there's no harm in explaining your thought process and what you're doing next. I still don't believe any of it. Why did I just turn into Regis? It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to get an ESPN draft specialist on next to answer whether everything is just a big old lie or whether we should believe what we're hearing. But we asked you guys about your lies uh, because of lion season. And a couple of you had some decent ones, some some ones I was kind of surprised you were willing to admit. Uh, at Excellent Spieler, this one's not so bad. I got out of my DirecTV subscription by telling them I was moving to Australia, had a lovely conversation about the neighborhoods in Melbourne while they were closing it out. Uh, so okay, you got to do your research, I guess. If they asked what part and you were like, mm, you need to at least know a couple places and a little bit about it, I would think. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, but that's a good one. They, we've cool. seen some good ones on here, like the homeschool one, too. Yeah, so at lies, the Prosky. Lies, lies, and more lies. <laughs> at the Prosky, uh, I was homeschooled. I would hide books in the bathroom to read during school. Spent so much time in the bathroom, my mom thought I had a digestive issue and was trying to get me an appointment with a specialist. Okay, so I'm glad that that person said trying to, because it sounds like he or she preempted this and admitted what was going on. I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Smartless. It's with uh, Jason Bateman and uh, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett. It's so good. And I'm trying to remember who they had on, but whoever it was was talking about pranking his his roommate. Oh, it was George Clooney. Pranking his roommate, Richard Kind, for literally a month by deciding to scoop up the cat-kitty litter poop without telling him and not telling him when he kept figuring there was something wrong with his cat because he hadn't gone to the bathroom. And he let him take the cat to the vet and prescribe things. I'm like, the that's poor awful. thing. Like, th- th- the cat should not be a part of your prank. Yeah, that's actually, like, really sad when yeah. you think about it. Like, And it's also, like, a really dumb prank. I guess it turned out okay. It was fine. Every well, day, I guess... More lies. That's right. I-, I guess at the end, George Clooney himself took a dump in the cat's litter box. Uh, that was the PS2 results. Yeah, really, it was what is, pretty oh gross. God, what's wrong with people? Uh, you should listen to it. It was actually very funny. He also pulled a prank where he told Richard Kind that he was really into painting and even would make him go get supplies at the painting store and would set up an easel. And he found a painting in the, the garbage and pretended like he worked on it for a long time, would even like, you know, have it in the back of a room and then presented it to him. And for years, Richard Kind had it in his living room because Richard, because uh, George Clooney had made him believe that it was really meaningful to him and that he had painted it just for him. And everybody else in his life knew about it. And it wasn't until an appearance on like Jay Leno that he found out that it was from the garbage can. Like, that's a good one. I like that one. That's like the Art Vanderlei thing that um, yes. keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Scott or um, Jonathan Chevin who got Chris uh, Jenner to like think that she was getting this like absurdly unique, expensive art, and it was like art that they were making in Chloe's garage. That was wow. a couple seasons ago. 
It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking lion season. This one uh, is pretty severe. At Mar underscores attacks. Uh, told my mother I was graduating college. In truth, I had flunked out of my very expensive college the first semester. Ooh. Oh, final semester. I'm sorry, final semester. Uh, I, I followed up to ask if he continued the lie. He said he did show up for graduation and then pretend to graduate and then later admit and they helped him pay how to to get out that last uh, last semester and actually graduate two years wow. after he was initially supposed to. I don't think Dangerous. my parents would be that kind to do that, being like, you lied to us and uh, we're not going to help you. Right, help you them. wasted our money. Uh, do you have any good lies, Courtney? I do. I thought about one and like the one of the ones that I got caught in. So little story here. So like, my parents like never grounded me growing up. Like it just wasn't a thing. Like if there was punishment, it's more like we're really disappointed in you. And that's like the kiss of death in my household. Um, but the first time I was grounded came when I was 17. So I was a <laughs> senior in high school and uh, my parents are divorced, but like great relationship. Like my mom goes and checks on my dad's house, the whole thing. Um, growing up so like it was kind of hard to get away with things but I thought it was sneakier than I was so I had a party over at my dad's house and Elizabeth Miller I'll never forget it threw up on the white carpet oh, in no. my dad's living room and An my 80s mom, movie. you know I had I had the whole um you know alibi as to where I was that night and everything and then I remember <laughs> like my mom's like hey meet me over at dad's like I gotta pick up something this is like a couple like days later because we had done damage control on that carpet used resolve everything oh. Else. And she's like, I thought you said you weren't here on Saturday. And like, then there was um, a beverage can that was um, oh no, tucked away and obviously the stain on the carpet. And that was the first time I had gotten in serious trouble with my parents. And my mm-hmm. mom was like, I mean, she, she caught me red handed. That was a terrible lie. Um, so yeah, I should have just been like, yeah, Elizabeth barfed all over the, uh, all over yeah. the uh, carpet. Sorry, mom, I'll pay for it. But yeah, I mean, you could have in theory been like, I had one friend over and we drank too much, you know, soda watching movies and she got sick. You know what I mean? Like you could have tried to let them down easy, but I think they probably would have figured out. I did not uh, tag you for party girl, Courtney Cronin, but I guess that's the case. I didn't do any of that in high school. I didn't have like parties and stuff. I think at one point we did sneak out to meet some friends. We used the fax machine. To talk back and forth about our serious? plans. How, how dumb is that? Um, That's no, pretty incredible, I think actually. One of the lies I had was the one time I wanted to get out of work because I was having such a great time with my friends. We were kind of far away. I think we were going to like the the like Six Flags or whatever the equivalent of that was in California. And I didn't want to go to work the next day. So I said I had food poisoning. And at that point in my life, I'd never had food poisoning. And about a month later, I got it for real. And I was like, I'll never lie about it again. This is <laughs> awful. Like, this is karma. Um and then I have all the dumb stories when I lived in L.A. My friend Kelly and I, whenever we would be bouncing around, you know, various parts of the California coast, we would just make up stories about a variety of things that occasionally got us in trouble, but usually were amusing. Uh, but I don't have any big ones, thankfully. Knock on wood that I haven't lied about anything serious. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. Don't forget, tune in to an NL battle tomorrow as the Cubs host the Braves. Coverage begins at 1.45 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Uh, speaking of Lions season, here's what Bill Belichick said about trading up in the draft. You know, at 15, I think we could eliminate a few players that won't be at 15. And then you could look at a couple scenarios and say, well, if, you know, these three players are there, which one would we take? If these other three different players are there, which one would you take? You know, you, you go through that exercise and, and, and talk about that. I would say normally something will happen, and, and there could very well be a player there that uh, either – you don't expect to be there, or maybe he is a couple spots, maybe at 12, 13, he's still on the board, 
and you really thought that he'd be gone in the top six, seven picks, you know, then the question comes, you know, do you move up and try to get that player that's fallen a little bit? Moving up. A lot of people talking about whether the Patriots are considering moving up. Uh, You think there was truth in that? I mean, it felt like he was laying it out for us without giving us too much detail. The only thing he revealed is that if the Patriots see a quarterback that they think could be a franchise player, they're not going to be hesitant to move up and select him. Like They're going to have an opportunity to get in the top ten with the Lions, Panthers, Cowboys moving down as candidates. Um, That's the only thing he revealed in that soundbite. I thought there was more there. Yeah, well... We uh, we know Bill Belichick's not usually one to tip his cap, but he was able to be vague while still sort of letting us know that there could be something afoot on draft day with the Patriots. We'll find out what's afoot with them and, and the rest of the teams as a former NFL scout talks to us about Lion season and his thoughts on the draft coming up. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline is ESPN NFL draft analyst and former NFL scout Jim Nagy. Jim, thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be on. So I am constantly convinced that I am a victim of lion season, and that is all the talk leading up to the draft. So when I hear these massive conversations on all of our airwaves about, like, why is this person dropping so much? I'm like, dropping from what? Like, nothing's happened yet. So how much of this pre-draft movement can really be trusted and taken seriously in terms of mocks, and how much is that just guessing based on clues that may be intentionally misleading? Uh, That's a great question. I'm kind of new to the media thing. This is only my third (laughs) year out of the NFL. I I know this. I, I never spoke to anyone in the media when I was in the league. And right now, I don't even really reach out to my friends too much to get information just because um, I don't want to ever put them in that situation. So I don't know. I think there's uh, in terms of lying season, the thing I like least about it is when some of this negative character stuff leaks out. I think that's one of the worst parts of this draft process. Um, you know, but then again, I think sometimes it, it sounds like guys are falling because they've been talked about at a certain level in the media and then maybe some slowly some stuff leaks out of the league that they're not thought of as highly in the league. So that's why media members start to drop guys. I'm not sure, but it is a, it's a phenomenon every year. <laughs> yeah, and we saw that happen with Justin Fields recently with the quarterback order changing due to pro days, due to speculation, whether it's smoke screens or not. But he had his second pro day this, this week. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, what did that do for him as far as his draft stock and maybe where he now falls in the mix of those big five that we expect off the board by the end of the first round? Well, what it did for him, it got him in front of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Um, you know, they'd been to North Dakota State's pro day to see Trey Lance. They were in Tuscaloosa to see Mac Jones and, and John Lynch was down here in Mobile um, watching him at the Senior Bowl all week as well. So it, no one's going to want to draft a quarterback that high without seeing the kid throw. Um, obviously, Justin Fields safe is great, um, but you do want to see the guy throw in a live live situation. And it sounds like that the 49ers had a little little bit of input on this second script to that pro day to maybe see some certain throws. But um, no, I think it was an opportunity for Justin to to get with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And, and since most of this spring has been on Zooms with the NFL teams, it got it got them an opportunity to uh, get in front of Justin in a little face-to-face time. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. We're talking to ESPN NFL draft analyst and former NFL scout Jim Nagy ahead of the draft. So, you know, last year I kind of joked around that the 
that, you know, the underwear Olympics, the, the pro days, all the extracurriculars that usually we say shouldn't affect a player's movement on the draft board as much as it does. We should focus on the games that were played that it was different last year because, you know, there was there was, you know, a kind of a weird season. We had a college season where, you know, teams had had gaps in, in play or they didn't play the schedules they were meant to. So does that make this draft different? Is the tape not as meaningful after a season like last year? Do you put more value in stuff like pro days? There's definitely a different dynamic this year. That's a great question. I do think a lot of people are putting more stock in the 2019 tape. I think you have to do that because there was such a disjointed nature to the season, and it varied from team to team and league to league. Um, yeah, so it is, it is hard to evaluate. You don't know exactly where these guys were physically – I can speak to all our all our work we do here at the Senior Bowl on these guys um, leading up to our game, and and the COVID really hit the big guys harder. Um, there was a clear, clear, um, you know, kind of play yourself into shape factor with a lot of the O linemen and D linemen. Most of these guys played much better late in the year, so um, I don't know. I don't know how much stock they're putting in the underwear Olympics. I think the smart teams mm-hmm. try to avoid that. Um, ideally you check all the boxes and the tape and the testing and all that, um, you know, marries up, but that's not always the case. I, I, in every year, I think the smart teams go back and in 90% of this is what the, what the guys do on tape. Last year, we saw a star studded wide receiver class light up the draft board, 35 taken rounds one through seven. I believe that's an NFL current day record this year. Scouts Inc has 17 wide receivers ranked among their top 100 prospects. I'm wondering, based on the hit rate that we saw from receivers, rookie receivers in 2020, do you think teams are going to like see that as a trend potentially and buy into it? Because I know back in 2014-15, there were 21 receivers taken in the first uh, first two rounds those two years, and then there was kind of this regression. Is there something specific about what you're seeing coming out of college now with the spread offenses and all of that that leads you to believe that this is a trend that – allows NFL GMs and decision makers to think, hey, these are instant impact type guys, or is it just a, you know, a product of two really good classes in two years? It has been two great classes, um, but I do think there's a trend. And I think you can draw it back to um, this wave of, of receivers right now entering the league are, are part of that first group that, that really um, got involved in seven on seven, um, kind of the AAU um, element has that you know entered the entered the football world the seven on seven uh, phenomenon and then and then i think uh, the nfl the coaches are doing a much better job of being open-minded and incorporating a lot of college pass uh pass schemes so um as the as the coaching profession got has gotten younger in the league i think they've been more open um and it traditionally it was a position where you drafted a guy even high you weren't expecting much out of him year one. I mean, that was really a, a difficult position for guys to transition. You were really, you were really, it was year two and most times year three before, before wide receivers really got up to speed. And that's obviously not the case. These, these last couple draft classes have hit the ground running and, and been uh, super productive right out of the gate. We're talking to Jim Nagy, ESPN NFL draft analyst, former NFL scout for nearly 20 years. Don't want to date you there. Uh, you know, I saw you tweeting about uh, scouts or, or maybe analysts looking too closely at bigger stat collections instead of specific stats against the best talent. Um, is that something that when you were with the NFL, you found often 
that analysts or talking heads or, or bloviating gas bags like myself are focusing on too much of the big picture instead of really understanding how to drill down and see how that player performs against players who are more like what they'll see at the next level? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that stats lie. I'm one of those people that thinks that, I mean, I, I do think stats lie in some cases. Uh, we definitely focus more on, on the matchups between other pro prospects. And in a lot of years, we, we would make the cutups based off that. And so um, what was big was you would take the player's junior tape against a guy that had already been in the league for a year. So, like, if he, if, if he played against a guy that we've already seen play in the NFL and how that guy played as a, as a rookie, you go back to – the current year draft year and you see how those guys matched up um, the year before. So yeah, that, that's, that's what the league's doing. They're called prospect matchup clips and uh, they'll, they'll watch those cutups extensively. And, and again, with the, and why, why I say stats lie sometimes it's a lot of these positions are very dependent, you know, like, um, like the, the tweet you're referring to Josh Palmer is a receiver at Tennessee this year. And let's, let's face it. They haven't had great quarterback play at Tennessee in quite a long time. So, obviously, you have to protect a quarterback, and then the quarterback's got to get you the ball. It's not just about the receiver getting open. So, if you just look at the overall numbers, that can, that can, that can really ding a guy, um, right? But if you see him, like in Josh's case, what he did against J.C. Horn and Pat Sertain and some of these elite corners and how well he played, um, and the quarterback actually got him the ball in those games, that can, that can be the more telling uh, thing when you're looking into a player. I wanted to jump back on Kyle Shanahan quickly um, because I know you mentioned he was obviously – at Ohio State for Justin Fields' pro day. And there's been a lot made about Mac Jones potentially going to the 49ers at three. The Kirk Cousins prototype, whether that's a compliment or not, has been thrown out there. And simply because of the history that he's had with Kyle Shanahan, a lot of people are drawing those parallels. But do you look at it as being that cut and dry, or do you think that there's a little bit more beneath the surface of what we're seeing here, that it's not a slam dunk, that Jones is going in a top three or to the 49ers at all? Well, back to, back to what I said before, um, you know, they made that trade up to three, and I can't believe a team would give up what they gave up for a player that they already didn't have conviction upon. I, I feel like they traded up for a certain player, and they did that without having seen um, without seeing Justin Fields yet, whereas, like I said, they, they were around Mac Jones for a week here in Mobile. They'd been to his pro day. They'd seen Trey Lance. So that's really where my head's at with, with the whole thing. But I wouldn't put it past Kyle. He's, he's extremely smart. They coached in the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago, the Niners did. Extremely smart guy. So, so, yeah, you can look at the Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryans and, and uh, you know, some of the guys that he's had and, and Matt Schaub that, that have worked for him. But we don't know, like, maybe he's frustrated by a lack of mobility and maybe he wants a true run threat when he runs all the boot action and stuff they like to do in the rollouts that, he wants a guy that's a true run threat and can take off. Maybe, but we don't know. I think, you know, Kyle knows and John Lynch knows. And uh, there can't be too many more people in the, in the 49ers building that do. I, I think at this point they've closed ranks in the department. And uh, they're keeping that really close to the vest. But, again, I, I do think they knew who they were trading up for when they made the trade. I still think everyone's lying to me. That's my assumption until draft <laughs> night. Everybody's full of it. Uh, except for you, Jim. Jim, thanks for the insight. Appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, thanks, Sarah. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. Reminder, you can catch all three days of the NFL Draft on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coverage around one Thursday night, April 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Coming up, it's a Friday. 
So you know we got to close out with some sports tinder and your casting coaches. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. It's a Friday. And you know what we do on Fridays? We do sports tinder. But first, we did request, in honor of the movie that Adam Sandler is allegedly making about Saints coach Sean Payton, which he's nabbed Kevin James to play him. We've been asking you what you would, uh, the movie of the coach of the NFL, what you would do with your casting choices. And we've been doing it by division. Today it is the NFC East, which leaves us with some very different uh, opportunities here. Very different looking coaches. Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys, Joe Judge of the Giants, Ron Rivera of the Washington football team, and to many people's surprise, Nick Sirianni. That is who the coach of the Eagles is, Courtney. Were you aware? I was. I was. I do remember okay. that from January. Uh, a lot of people didn't remember. <laughs> a lot of people just sent in gifts with, who's that? Uh, that is uh, the head coach of the Eagles now. It's Nick Sirianni. Um, you guys actually sent in some pretty good ones. Eric Stone Street for uh, Mike McCarthy. Kevin James actually seems to be the choice for almost every person. I don't know if that's just because people kind of get it in their heads once I suggest that as the, you know, the the thing that's the leaping off point for this exercise, but he's, uh, he's recommended for any number of people. And the truth is with this particular picture, it actually works. He actually one- would probably make a better McCarthy than he would a Sean Payton. The one that I think somebody recommended him for uh, Matt Patricia. It actually, I can see it because there's Man, a photo. It's, he's, um, a, he's a real chameleon, that Kevin Like James. He's got the beard. I mean, it's not Patricia level, but the hat's pulled over his face enough that, you know, on second glimpse, I mean, I could, I could see it. You could see it. Uh, we've got a couple other ones that people recommended. Uh, Nick Sirianni, uh, Josh Lucas. Thomas Middleditch from uh, Silicon Valley, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Dirk Nowitzki. That is such a disparate <laughs> bunch of people. Like, none of those people match each other at all. And yet, somehow, they all kind of work. It's kind of surprising. Uh, Joe Judge didn't get very many uh, suggestions. Not a lot of people saw uh, others. He looks a little like Fitz in the, in the photo I posted. So maybe we'll stick with casting Jason Fitz. Uh, and then Rivera, uh, Danny Trejo, and Jimmy Smith. I think we've heard Jimmy Smith a lot for Ron Rivera. That one makes sense. That's the go-to. I, I'm wondering, who, uh, it's terrible of me to not know this. So the one that was tweeted of, of Sean McDermott, who is that next to him? I should know that offhand. Of Sean so, McDermott? I didn't yes. see that one. I'll have to check the it Bill's out. The Bill's head coach. And there's somebody who. Oh, that's Bill Burr. Okay. That's who yeah. I thought this that was. This person has leaped, leapt, leaped. I need to take drugs. I feel like I'm on them already, but my brain is broken <laughs> Leapt, uh, whatever that person went to the wrong division already, but it's a decent, it's a it decent is. suggestion. I thought at first it was Ashley Darby's husband from Real Housewives of <laughs> Potomac, but it's I'm not. sad that you know who that is <laughs> or know. anything about that show. Um, we also, every time we've done this, which is now the third day, everybody just hops in with the Tomlin Omar Epps, and I'm like, we're not there yet. We all know it, but we're not there yes. yet. Um, it's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on a Friday, and we need to do a little sports tinder. This is where we make bad decisions along with y'all. Sports during COVID, tinder. Thank you, sexy voice man. Uh, during COVID, maybe you haven't been doing that as much. Uh, maybe you haven't been making bad decisions as much. Maybe you're just swiping and then having Zoom dates. We don't know what you're up to. We don't care. Do what you need to do. Get some strange uh, safely and carefully. Uh, but we also do that. We ask some questions, sometimes sports-related, sometimes not. And then we swipe. Swipe up when we really agree with the question. Swipe right when we agree. Swipe left if we disagree and swipe down if we hate it. Let's start with a clip that I saw just before the show started. And it's Marshawn Lynch interviewing Dr. Fauci. This is a little bit of what it sounded like. What's happening, man? You got Marshawn Lynch here, man. Uh, Better known as uh, 
the boy, boy, the kid, beast mode, man. Uh, it's a pleasure to 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 meet the uh, the 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 Dr. Fauci himself. You understand me? What's happening, big dog? Thank you. It's good to be with you, Marshawn. No problem. Did you understand anything I just said? <laughs> yeah, I got it. I'm good at that. Rather than just saying, "Oh, it's information. Go get the go get the vaccination because it's free," but you're not telling me what I want to know about the vaccination. And then if you choose to, it's in a terminology of which I don't even understand what the f you just said. So <laughs> I don't believe your ass even more now. <laughs> okay, that was a couple clips from it. They did get into, I think, a useful and meaningful dialogue about um, the reticence from some black people to get vaccinated because of American history, uh, Dr. Fauci and how to educate people in a way that seems accessible to them. Uh, the question is, should we make this a weekly show? Some sort of, you know, like beast mode and Fauci in the morning kind of vibe. Absolutely. Swipe up. Swipe up. Super like. Like, I can't get enough of this. And honestly, anything they put Marshawn on, I'll listen to. And he has a platform now, which, I mean, I know it's the, the opening was hilarious and, and Marshawn being Marshawn and all of that. But there's like some real change that he can affect here, especially in, you know, a community that like you mentioned, with all of the, um, you know, vaccination, I guess, uh, hesitancy from people in the African-American community that's been well-documented for a long time, you could make some real change here. I would, and maybe yeah. even get on, like, other topics outside of the COVID vaccination as well. I would absolutely listen to that. I'm going to. Swipe left. Not because I dislike the combo. I think it's a it's a tremendous duo. I just worry that Fauci might have other things to do. Now, if he could squeeze it into his schedule without in any way affecting his ability to communicate with other populations and people across the country in meaningful ways, then I'm here for it. But Dr. Fauci's everywhere, man. He's hanging with Steph Curry and Marshawn Lynch and Joe Biden. I mean, he's he's all over the place. Uh, moving on. I'm sure you saw this, Courtney. A-Rod posted an Instagram video with Coldplay scanning over a series of framed photos of him and his family with J-Lo, his ex-fiance. And it was honestly heartbreaking. And I felt for him. We've all been there. But I wonder, should you post a breakup video with a shrine to your ex at age 45? Uh, absolutely not. Not at any age should you post a shrine <laughs> video to your ex. I mean, it's Swipe honestly... Down. I hate so it. Yes, like, I hate it. Like, it made, it gave me, like, I don't know, like, I feel cringy after watching that with like the ending picture of like the heart in the sand with Jennifer and Alex. Like, <laughs> ew, no, absolutely not. I'm going to swipe down. I'm swiping down. I yeah. hate it. I mean, listen, I feel bad for the guy. We've all been there. It's just kind of like when your friends post fights with their husband or wife on Facebook and you're like, we don't need to be in on this. Like, just handle your stuff. And I wanted at the end for it to go to like a framed photo of him alone or maybe like a photo that's like cut in half with scissors or ripped in half, like some funny moment where you're like, okay, he's sad, but he's dealing with it. This was too real, A-Rod. Like you're making us all get in our feelings about the things that happened to us. We don't need that right now. No, you just want um, a basketball we don't, team. Like let's yeah. just focus on the good things in your life instead of the sad Focus things. on Anthony Edwards not knowing who you are, which exactly. is hilarious. Uh, by the way, that's my parting shot for Outside the Lines tomorrow. There's a tease for you. Make sure you check in tomorrow morning for Outside the Lines. Hear what I have to say about Anthony Edwards not knowing who A-Rod is and how it was a punch to the gut of all the olds, myself included. Uh, thanks for listening. I don't know what we just did for the last two hours. I, I don't remember it. I blacked out. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.